I want you to take your Bible, turn to the book of Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 17. You know, there are some people who teach that you um, uh, have to persevere in the faith. You know, that's just one of the requirements. After you get saved, you've got to persevere. You're saved by grace. Yeah, we all know that. You're saved by grace. But if you don't persevere, well, then you weren't saved to start with. So, of course, you're going to have to persevere to prove that you really were saved. And if you don't, then that's a sign you weren't really saved. That's just what they call uh, backloading. Some do a front load and tell you you got to do all these things to get saved. And then there's others who teach you you have to do these things to stay saved or to prove you're saved. Both of them are no good. It still works for salvation. And uh, I was reading a few of the comments that people have made on some of the um, uh, sermons that I've got on uh, YouTube about Calvinism. And they'll come on there and say, is that Yankee Arnold? He doesn't understand Calvinism one bit. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And I thought to myself, why you, you, you're like a drunk that's in denial? In other words, you say you believe this, but then when somebody confronts you with it, well, I don't believe that. And then you say, well, then explain what you do believe. And what they explain, what they do believe, is the same thing you just told them that they did believe. And they say, you don't believe it. And you want to just reach out and just slap her jaws a little bit. In Christian love, of course. But here in the book of Luke, it uh, makes a simple little statement. <laughs> it says in verse 32, remember Lot's wife. I was going to preach a sermon one time called The Sin of the Mayor's Wife. Wouldn't that be a good title? Put it in the newspaper, The Sin of the Mayor's Wife. And uh, I bet there might be some people that says, I know the mayor's wife. I'm coming out to hear that sermon. But I'm not going to do it. Well, I might do it. I'm tempted to do it. And, of course, who do you think I'm talking about? Lot's wife. I was going to preach a sermon called uh, Seven Ducks in the Water. Seven Ducks in the Water. Now, that's a good sermon. Because remember when Naaman, he had to go down into the water seven times? The one that had leprosy? He had to make seven ducks in the water. He had to dunk himself seven times. <laughs> yeah, I know I did. Seven ducks in the water. Now, let me see, let me see if I can get this straight now. This, this is a good one. Now, I've got to see if I can remember this just right. <laughs> uh, there's these three people that uh, died, and they, they went to heaven. And um, anyway, they were told, whatever you do, don't step on the ducks. Just don't step on the ducks. <laughs> i got a hunch I want to murder this one. Anyway, this, uh, they were doing fine for about the first couple of years. Then finally, one of the guys stepped on a duck. The punishment was God brought over the ugliest woman he had ever seen in his life. I mean, she looked like she'd been baptized in lemon juice. And, uh, you know, she, she, she looked like homemade sin. And she was, she was so ugly. She was so ugly. And says, Don, you're going to have to go around heaven with this here, this woman you know, for the next 10, 15 years. The next guy thought, well, the last thing I'm going to do is step on a duck. So a couple more years passed by, and guess what he did? Stepped on a duck. So here comes the next ugliest woman. I mean, she was, really, she was worse than the other one. And so he had to walk around heaven with that ugly woman for the rest of like 10, 15 years. And so this lady, she says, well, the last thing I'm going to do is step on a duck. And a couple years pass, and lo and behold, 
Here comes out the most beautiful, handsomest man she'd ever seen in her life. And, uh, and so the Lord told her that she was going to have to walk around with this handsome man. And uh, she said, okay. So they started walking off and she says, I don't, I don't understand this. I, I just don't, under, I, I don't get this. He says, I don't either. He said, all I did was step on a duck. Anyway, that was a Boaz special. Is there a message somewhere today? There's a point to this, but I, I just don't know what it is. Surely, surely you can find something to put it with so that it makes sense, you know. So anyway, what's this? <laughs> All right, we're moving right along. Here in the book of Luke, look in chapter 17, look in verse 33. Right after it says, remember Lot's wife. And then it says, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Because she sought to save her life. But she looked back, and that was the wrong way to look. And she um, turned into a pillar of salt. Uh, Betty will look back one time, and she backed right into a telephone pole. So you have to be very careful of what you're doing now. When he makes this statement, he says, and whosoever shall lose his life, see the next words, shall preserve it. It's like sometimes living your life, and I know with the women sometimes, they probably think, you know, they get up some morning, and at the end of the day, you know, that was a total waste of makeup. In other words, nothing happened, and you got all beautified for nothing. Do you always want to get beautified and look good just for yourself or because you know somebody else is going to see you. Now, on Saturdays, because I know that nobody's going to come by the church. So I don't shave. And I look a little on the rough side. And sometimes I wear jeans, tennis shoes, and just a shirt hanging out because, you know, nobody's going to come by. <laughs> you know, just as soon as I do that, there comes somebody at the door. And uh, I think... I got, I didn't get dressed up for no reason at all. <laughs> and there was a reason I should have, I should have cleaned up. And sometimes I think, here we were over in Israel. And I thought, I got to look clean shaven. Betty says, Yankee, remember your image, your image. Sometimes I want to take my image out. And I looked over at Boaz, our guide. And he hadn't shaved for three days. <laughs> but I got to clean shade. But anyway, when you're talking about saving your life, it's like, can I preserve it for later? Preserve my life for later. Because we know that every day we live is a day that we, we don't get back. But it's a day that can be profitable because it can be preserved and I get it back. So every day you serve the Lord is not a day wasted. It's a day that's been preserved for later. Because God's going to reward you later for what you did that day. So that day is kept in its preserved. My mama, God bless her, you know, she, um, she might have sold a little, you know, booze on the side. Okay. But she also did a lot of preserving. We raised, she raised everything. She canned everything. And she had this big old pressure cooker. And it had that little whistle on it. It builds up steam inside of that thing. And they've got 
the stuff inside of it, and they used a lot of pressure proof. And once in a while, you'll hear about it exploding, though, and people getting killed from it, lid blowing off. Now, that never happened to my mom. But she did have a, uh, a washing machine that, um, well, it was, um, well, it had an electric cord to it. And uh, we didn't live in many houses that had electricity, so it doesn't work too good. But this one day, she had it and had it plugged in, and she was washing clothes. It had that old ringer type. And so she was down there washing the clothes and getting, and her hair got too close to those rollers. And next thing you know, it didn't take that much to start rolling up her hair. And she started screaming. Well, I'm, I'm just a little kid. I'm just listening to my mama scream. I don't know what to do. Finally, my older sister, Lizzie, she ran over there, and she hit the top of that thing, and it popped open. It stops, and it, it's okay. But my mama thought she was going to lose all of her hair. And, you know, it, it can be devastating. But you've got all these things that can happen to you. But to be preserved so that the day is not lost, and you have something that's going to mount to something on down the road. So I believe that this is a little bit of what the Lord is talking about, is that I don't have to waste this day. Not just that I spend it, but the Bible talks about you're spending this day, but you're spending time, and you're supposed to get something for it. So every day we should strive to get something for the time spent this day. So God allowed me to live today. So if I live it to fulfill the lust of the flesh, well, I don't get anything preserved. I don't get rewarded for that. I haven't secured anything. But every day that I live for the Lord, I am preserving time down the road. And one of these days, we're going to be with the Lord. So I would like you just to write or underline those two little words, shall preserve it. And so there's, like my mom said, she, she would preserve she, every kind of fruit there was. I mean, beans and butter beans, string beans and even corn. I mean, you name it. My, my mom was able to do it. And lo and behold, can you believe this? My wife never preserves. But my daughter does everything. My daughter, she, that girl, is, she is one fantastic woman. She can cook anything. Now, some people don't like deer meat. But if you ate her deer meat, you'd love deer meat. Because she can make it taste just better than steak. And I'm talking about she knows how to cook. What would you say? She can preserve it, buddy. If she brings it down here, it's not preserved very long. Every time I go up to Georgia, she serves me some uh, venison, and I love it. But anyway, look at another verse. Look in uh, chapter 10 of Matthew. Matthew in chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, he has told his disciples uh, to go into uh, various cities and preach the gospel and so forth. And uh, he had just told him right before that to, um, well, it says about, the Lord looked upon the multitude, and he was moved with compassion upon them. And says, when the shepherd is, uh, you know, smitten, then the sheep will scatter. And he also said, pray ye the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his vineyard. And that's the one thing that we're always striving for. Why do I want people to go to college? So they can go into the vineyard. So they can go into the harvest. You want some more people out there winning people to Christ. And so if there's anything that people ought to learn how to do, more than anything else in the world... Learn how to win a person to Christ, to talk to him about the Lord. So chapter 10 talks about this, and he warns them about not being afraid. Because fear is a success crusher. It keeps you from being successful. Fear can destroy you. Because 
You're afraid to talk to somebody about the Lord. That's the most curious thing in the world. Some people have to do anything. I'll do anything. Just don't let me talk to somebody about the Lord. Stop and think. You can talk about football. You can talk about politics. If I say, could you come up here on the platform and just give me a five-minute testimony of how precious God is to you? What? And they'll go into cardiac arrest. Now, they can talk to anybody about anything else in the world, but just getting in front of somebody and talking about the Lord. Oh, that's a no-no. They'd rather die than that. And yet, it doesn't kill you to talk about anything else, but it's amazing what it can do to you because the devil works on you on that. So here in Matthew, in chapter 10, now there's three things that he tells them in uh, chapter 10 about fear not, fear not, fear not. You know, what people can say, what people can do, (laughs) and not being afraid that you're not worth anything. A lot of people just get to the place sometimes where they just, I don't have any value. I mean, I'm worthless. No, you're not worthless. But it does want you to be worth something. And he talks about you're worthy of certain things. Look here in verse 37. In verse 37, but remember this. One of the biggest enemies you'll have in your Christian life is going to be those who know you the best. Because they, they see you at home. They know what you're really like. So that's why that verse right before that, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Because, you see, if you want to serve the Lord and you've got people in the household that don't, well, then you're a natural rebuke to everybody who don't want to serve the Lord. So he says here in verse 30, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now, it means that they're not worthy to pay the price. In other words, they can't afford to pay it. Because serving the Lord, we know going to heaven is a gift. Serving the Lord, well, that's different. That's going to cost you. And some people cannot pay that price. They want the victories, but they don't want no battles. You know, they want all those medals to wear. Look at all my medals. But they don't wear. I often get a, a, even a little curious of all these people that are over in North Korea. They haven't had a war in 70 years. And yet, here's all these generals they got, and they already got so many medals on both sides, they can hardly walk around. And I thought, well, where did they get, what battle did they fight? Well, you usually get one if you went to this country, that country, this country, that country, and you get little medals and things like that. They haven't been out of the country. <laughs> they won't let them leave, because if they did, they won't get them back. But it's amazing. Now, where did they get all these medals if they haven't fought any battles? That's the way a lot of Christians are. They want the medals. They want the rewards, but they don't want to do anything to earn them because rewards are earned. And to get those, you have to be able to pay the price. It's like, you know, there's a Porsche. Well, I want that. Can you afford it? No. Then you can't have it. And so that's why he mentions this on here. You're not worthy. It means you can't afford it. Sometimes the kids <laughs> call me up at that. Dad, you... You think I can have this and get, have this and get this car and blah, blah, blah? I said, honey, you can have anything you can afford. You can have anything you can afford. And so I have never signed on a note for my kids. Now, you, I'm not saying you don't have to. You can't if you want to do whatever you want to do. You've got to, make, you've got to work and get what you can afford. Because down the road, you can always count on somebody to bail you out, bail you out. But, and there's not going to be nobody to bail you out. One of these days, daddy's going to be gone, mama's going to be gone. Have fun. But learn how to work. Save a little bit. Do this. So anyway. So he says down here. Look at the very next word. Verse 38. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me. 
not worthy of me. In other words, you cannot afford to follow Christ. Because you want to serve the Lord, then it requires you to discipline yourself. And some people cannot discipline themselves. Remember, we always say there's two forms of discipline. Self-discipline, imposed discipline. Which do you prefer? Can you discipline yourself, or do you have to have somebody discipline you? Always having to get on your case or, you know, wake you up and challenge you and motivate you? Or can you, can you encourage yourself in the Lord? Or do you always have to have somebody encourage you? Pick me up. Well, what if there's nobody? I haven't had a pastor in over 50, 60 years now because I've always been the preacher. Well, who keeps me motivated? The people. No, you gotta, you got to have some strength that you get from the Lord and keep yourself going and always motivated to keep doing what's right. Otherwise, you can wear out. This is why I think sometimes if you don't really love the Lord, you burn out because you're trying to do it and it's not real. It's mechanical. And you're forcing yourself to do something you really don't want to do. i got to go to church today. Well, I don't wake up that way. Man, I'm going to church today. I can't wait for Sunday. I can't wait for Sunday night. Because I stay challenged up about something like that. And other people say, oh, I hope you don't go long. And he's one minute over. And you'd be surprised. Everybody knows about what time I stop on Sunday morning. What time? What time do I usually stop on Sunday morning? 5 to 12? Pretty close to it, huh? So hopefully when I get through, but you'd be surprised how many, if I was to go one minute over, heads would start turning and say, that clock stop or something? What's wrong with it? So how long have you been here? Well, if you're going to, you want a calendar or you want that? <laughs> one man got up and walked out of my meeting and I said, where are you going? He says, I'm going to shave. I said, why didn't you shave before you came? He says, I did. <laughs> you know, there's always somebody like that. You always got to, anyway, one time I asked this guy, I says, um, would you uh, wake up that person sitting beside you? He says, you put them to sleep, you wake them up. Some people, you just can't win. You know, I feel good today. <laughs> well, maybe it's because I'm still in a jet lag and I haven't, I don't even, I haven't woke up yet. This is all a dream. Well, anyway, wherever we are, you're supposed to serve the Lord, and you know that. But look at the next verse. I want you to see that. In verse 39, he that findeth his wife, I mean, uh, his, uh, he that findeth his life shall lose it. <laughs> oh, that was funny, and not even in planet. And he that loseth, one man says, I regret that I've only got one wife to send to the country. I can't hardly see it. I got tears in my eyes. <laughs> oh, let's see. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. I got 15 verses to get to, and I've only got to the first two. <laughs> you know, I'd be surprised with old Warren over here. Here we are. On, now, he has that sweet, innocent look. Don't he have just an innocent, baby-faced look? Even though he's 60 years old, he got that baby-faced look. And everywhere we went, he was always pulled aside. I mean, he just looked guilty about something. I didn't know. There must be something on your record that I don't know about. My, my Bible. Yeah, he had his Bible with him, and uh, the dog came, and the dog sniffed, and next thing you know, they pulled him aside because they smelled some dynamite or smoke. I mean, there was 
some, uh, and believe it or not, in the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power, that word is dynamite. And uh, that little puppy spelled that dynamite in his Bible. And so he got pulled over for that. And then you got pulled over for something. I don't know what it was, but he was always, we're waiting on him. We're, we're, we were waiting on old dear Warren over here. But, um, but he looked so innocent. But they must have saw something that was just, <laughs> anyway. Connie, have you recovered? You're recovered. What about those girls? Oh, she's going to go up to Grace Farm. And um, anyway, poor John. You, you have no idea, that poor guy. He had three women that he was responsible for. And it was automatic that these three women, they saw every gift shop. Every gift shop. Not the, There goes John, poor John. <laughs> but I think everybody had a good time. And uh, it was a great experience for everybody. And I'll uh, do my best. I kept telling them, I says, now you got to stay focused. you got to stay focused. <laughs> I can't stay focused this morning. I have been like a, a bouncing all around the wall. Somebody Ray used to say, you know, you got the, a, a brain the size of a BB inside of a boxcar. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that doesn't make you feel too good. A brain the size of a BB in a boxcar. You know, that's, that's pretty bad. But anyway, take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy in chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, start there in verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. Now Paul has, you know, run his life. And his course, and he's now getting ready to depart and won't be long before he be with the Lord in heaven. So he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. So he has um, preserved his life. Because whatever you do for the Lord, you never lose. And so that makes every day precious to you, because your life is made up of time. And when you waste time, you're wasting your life. So if you will invest it for the Lord, you're saving your life. And that's what the Lord's talking about. He says, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Now, the little thing to remember here, the righteous judge. If you can live your life believing that God is a righteous judge, and He is going to reward you for what you did for Him, you know you're going to win. And you can live with that confidence, and it gives you boldness. But you see, when your life is a flip-flop, and you're up, and you're down, and you're, you know, some people, well, the Christian life is kind of like a person who's so nervous they can throw, throw a sew machine while it's running. You know, that's, that's pretty nervous. And they're afraid to take and trust the Lord with their life, so they, it's kind of like a person who wants to get in the boat and go out on the Sea of Galilee, but the only problem is they want to put one foot on the land and one foot in the boat. You're not going to get too far from the land. Neither are you going to really be enjoying the ride in the boat. Because you don't trust the boat and you want to keep one foot on the land just in case. Now put both feet in the boat and trust the Lord. And you'll enjoy it so much better. But some people are afraid to step out by faith 
and see what God's going to do. You know, about three months ago, I was just kind of looking down the road at a few of the things that we have to get done. You know, there's the graduation coming up, and there's the ladies' tea, and I mean, just one thing after the other. And then we had the ordination service, and then a trip to Israel, and we got a, a meeting up there in uh, someplace, Chicago, and then um, yeah, me and Betty's going to have our anniversary, and, and then, uh, well, she's at home right now because she's not feeling too good. And you think of all the things you got, and then we got camp coming up. Next thing you know, it's going to be, it's going to be college again. And we think, well, where did the summer go? But all you can do is just knock them out one at a time. Knock them out. So I thought, well, I know that when we get back, I still got two days of rest before Sunday. Well, it didn't work out that way. See, I have my schedule, and God has a schedule. And next thing you know, I'm doing a funeral service. So, and uh, I got over here, and I got this phone call to make, and this phone call to make. You get a bunch of things you got to catch up on. And if you don't, they kind of snowball on you. Then you don't get anything done. And just not being prepared wears you out. Have you ever thought about all the things you have to get done? You ain't done anything yet, and it's already worn you out. Just thinking about what you got to get done. So, um, anyway, here in the book of 2 Timothy... Look what he says here in the middle part of verse 8. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Now, Paul is already stating that he knows what he has done. He knows he's going to get rewarded. And God is the righteous judge, and he shall give me. See, that's not a, a guess. Like, well, you know, you're not supposed to anticipate, and uh, nobody knows if you're going to get anything or not. no. I believe God has to bless my life. God has to bless me. Why? Because he said, if I serve him, he'll bless me. Well, all right, I serve him, so he has to bless me. It's not that God has a choice. He's bound by his word. If God's already promised that he'll bless those who serve him and he'll honor those who serve him, well, then don't you expect him to do that? Don't you believe that at this point in your life that you have rewards coming to you? Well, I don't know. I don't think I've ever done anything for the Lord. Oh, stop whining. Do it. Be faithful because it's the right thing to do. Just because it's the right thing. And God will take care of the rest of it, but you ought to live in such a way that I know that I love the Lord, and I know that what I'm doing is what God wants me to do, because if it's not, then whatsoever is not of faith is sin. That means you're supposed to be convinced in your mind that what I'm doing is what God wants me to do. And so you read the Word of God. i got a sermon I got, I'm working on. I haven't got it finished yet, but it's going to be on the will of God. I know some things. There's about 10, 12 things I got on there. It's really going to be good. I was going to do it, but I thought, no, I need to, you know, organize it and put it on paper so that everybody has a copy of it so you'll remember it. Because I know not everybody has a photographic memory. You can remember everything. So I like to give out some notes on that. But now notice what else he says here. In verse 9, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Because winter's setting in. He has some, uh, he says, I forgot my winter coat. It's going to get chilly. Now, I'm, in a, I'm in a prison, and I, I want something to, you know, stay warm. And don't forget to bring me the parchment, because, you know, where I'm at, all I got to work on is these Zuduko uh, things. So I need to, I want the parchments to bring those. How many of y'all have ever played Zuduko? Come on, rest of you, raise your hand, be honest. God knows. 
I try to do one a day because it keeps your mind clear. It keeps it sharp because it's mind-boggling. And you want to finish it, but you got to do it right. And no cheating. You don't go to the back and see the right answers and then put it down. No, no, no. Don't you do none of that stuff. You, and then try to finish it. And if you can't finish it right there, you go back to it and try to finish it later. But it'll challenge you. But work on some little puzzle that gets your mind off everything else so that you can. It's a way of relaxing your mind. So you've got to have something that you do. But notice what else he says here in verse 10. For demons hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Now you'll notice in verse 8 when he says, All those who love his appearing. And demons have let me, he has loved this present world. You're either going to love the Lord or you're going to love the world. It's got to be one way or the other. Do you love the Lord more than the things of the world? Because if you want to preserve your life and have it count for something, then you've got to have something that motivates you to do the right thing. And, of course, that's going to be is do you love him more. Now look what he says in verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. When you're trying to build a ministry, you're always trying to find the key people that know the Lord, love the Lord, make good shock absorbers that you can put confidence in, trust in, and... uh, they're profitable for the ministry because they help to reach other people. They're the pillars in the church. Remember the sermon I did on the pillars and the killers? If you didn't hear that sermon, you need to get that one. But anyway, look what he says in verse 13. Of the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee and the books, especially the parchments. Now, so because Paul loved the Lord, everything went his way. Nobody was opposing him. No. You're always going to have the messenger of Satan. And Peter brought this out yesterday when we was talking. I don't forget when it was now, just recently. But the messenger of Satan, well, the messenger must be an individual who just kind of goes around and just goads you all the time. Always goads like with a a sharp stick and do it with the cattle. Well, there's people that do that. Always goading you. They just want to stick you. And... uh, you know, discourage you from doing anything that's right, always trying to deflate you, always negative. You'll have people like that in your life. It seems like they do the, the devil's work, and they can so discourage Christians from being found faithful. Now, look what he says. Verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. This is when he should have walked around with one of those you know, AK-47s, you know. You know, over in Israel, we saw a lot of these young ladies walking around with their guns. We felt safe with these 18, 19-year-old girls that are protecting us. But they walked around, and they had them, buddy. And you don't, I wouldn't, I would think, man, I'd hate to be an 18, 19-year-old boy and then want to flirt with them. You don't, I wouldn't even flirt with them. I wouldn't even look at them and saw it cross-sided. Now, it wasn't that way whenever I was coming up. But the girls today... I don't know. You've got to be careful, especially if you're in Israel. But when they finish school, that's what they do. They join the military. I don't think it's voluntary. I think that they have to. It's required for about two years or two years and eight months, something like that. And the guys do too. So they, the whole nation over there is just one great big old army. They all know how to fight. They all know what they're supposed to do. They know how to handle weapons. And so... Um, He says, the Lord will reward them accordingly. Look at verse 16. 
At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Therefore, if they're not going to stand, I am not either. If they're going to quit, I'm going to quit. You ever heard people say things like that? I've been in ministry for a couple of years now. And I've always had somebody with uh, one family getting mad and they leave. And then the next thing you know, well, they influenced somebody else and they got mad. It never did anything to them. But they took an offense and then they leave. And then somebody else, well, because they did. And you think, why? Because that's the way people think. If you offend this one, you must have offended me. And it didn't happen to you. And then it may not be true. And so over the years, I've seen a lot of that happen. But like he says in verse 17, the Lord stood with me. Not with that, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. That by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles may hear that I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Who's the mouth of the lion? And who does he use? People. Uses people. That's why he says up there, and this Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. So if you want to serve the Lord, that means nothing's going to happen wrong. Everything's going to be wonderful. No, you always got somebody that wants to destroy. And so you have to be very careful. And if everybody stops, nobody loves me, he forsook me, and he's talking about that. But you see, you're an individual. One of the things I like about it in Israel is that when that kid becomes 13, they have a bar mitzvah. It means that that kid has learned all the responsibilities according to the law that he's supposed to know. So now he is responsible. He's responsible for all of his actions. He's considered, and look at what, he's an adult now at 13. We got people 18, 19, 20. They ain't grown up yet. We got some adults that never became an adult in their thinking. Because they cannot handle adult responsibility. But anyway, I uh, wanted to show that to you. But there's one other verse. In verse 18, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will, you underline this, preserve me into his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. One thing that I like, and it says here, and a couple of the verses, we'll cover those next week, is that God is the one who has preserved me. I don't have to preserve a certain way of life in order to make it to heaven, which some call the perseverance of the saints, that if you are really sick, you've got to persevere. No, afraid not. Look up there just a moment. I just thought of a good illustration that might work. This hand represents you and me. Now, please watch what I'm doing. This is not a time to put everything away. Don't, don't move around and start scuffling things because that draws attention to you. And the one that's watching you is me. <laughs> and it makes me forget what I'm going to say. And you don't want to do that, because then I have to repeat myself and go another half hour. This is you and me. This is sin. We all have sin on us. Everybody is a sinner. Because God says so. He says there's no difference. Nobody's better than anybody else. He said we've all come short of God's perfection. Are you perfect? Are you perfect? Are you perfect? Nobody's perfect. That means you've all come short. We are sinners. And the Bible says to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. But you see, God loves us. Doesn't want us to go to hell. But he can't let us go to heaven the way we are. If we went to heaven the way we are, we'd lie and steal and cheat and rob and all that stuff in heaven. Then heaven won't be heaven. So God says, you can't come unless you're perfect. Okay. What did that just do to the whole human race? Nobody gets to go. 
except me and George Washington. <laughs> and he might have told that lie. I don't know. But see, now look. This is you and me. And because of sin, we can't get in. And God says you cannot earn your way to heaven. Regardless of how good you try to be, you'll never be good enough because you have to be perfect. You got a problem. I got a problem. We all have a problem. And there's only one that can solve the problem. That's why Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. That's why he had to come and have a virgin birth. Be born, have a body without a sinful nature. And he would be a perfect sacrifice to die in our place. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, did not have to die. So because of his love for us, he took all the sin, not most of it, all the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross 2,000 years ago, came back from the dead. Our sins have already been paid. The only thing you and I have to do is, will you believe he did it for you? If you will believe that he did this for you, God takes and puts this payment to your account, you get to go to heaven. And see, just because the sin's been paid doesn't give you his righteousness. When you believe, his righteousness is put to your account. Our sins are put to his account, but his righteousness is not put to your account until you believe he did it for you. When I believed that years ago, God gave me his righteousness. And if he gave me his righteousness and he took my sin, that would make me as righteous as God. I'm going to heaven because of what Christ did for me, not what I do for him. No man has ever lived good enough to earn his way to heaven or woman to. Nobody. And that's why it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, anybody, believeth in him, should not perish, means you won't go to hell, but have everlasting life. That's the best news in all the world. So if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, do you believe that he died and paid for your sins, came back from the dead? Do you believe he did it for you? That means you are a child of God. You've trusted Christ as your Savior. That means you're going to heaven when you die. And that's why God says this is a divine command. It's the Lord's table. It's not the pastors, it's not the church, it's the Lord. God wants you to take that little wafer or whatever it is and, and take that and remember, he did this for you. He bore your sins on the cross. We do not believe in transubstantiation where this becomes the body of Christ and that becomes the blood of Christ. No, it doesn't. We don't believe that. I believe it's just a piece of bread and that's some little grape juice and it's all it is. But it's a picture of the most wonderful thing in all the world. We're going to go to heaven because we believe what Christ did on the cross for us. True? Amen. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, friend, would you realize you're going to die one day and you're going to have to stand before God. And he makes the statement, it's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. Would you right now believe that when Christ died, that he died for you? Would you believe he did it for you? God said, if you'll believe it, he will give you as a free gift everlasting life. And he'll give you his righteousness. You go to heaven on that, not on yours. You and I will never be good enough. It's the gift. And so if you'll believe he did it for you, he will save you right now. And if you're making that decision, I'd like to know and I'd like to have prayer for you. And I'm going to ask you in just a moment. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you forward. 
But right where you're sitting, say, Preacher, that made sense to me, and I will right now. I will trust Christ as my Savior. I believe he died for me, and I want to be certain of going to heaven when I die. So right now, I will trust the Lord as my Savior, and I'd like for you to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up very quickly and put it right back down? Is anyone at all? Anyone at all? Just slip it up real quick. Anyone at all? Yes, God bless you. I see your hand. Yes, God bless you. Anyone else? Just slip it up real quick and put it right back down. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come up to you. I'm not going to pin you against the wall. But it's so important. There's no trick to this, no gimmick. Say, so, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. Anyone else? Our Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We're thankful, Lord, that salvation is free, that you loved us that much. We thank you for the individual indicated by an uplifted hand that they would trust you as their Savior. By doing so, they become your child, your child forever. You'll never cast them out, never lose them. We ask your blessings now upon the communion service for each one here, each child of God, to examine their own life and to remember who you are and what you did for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.